We are back for another week in the world of Sasta with me, Harry Stebbings, at hstebbings1996 on Instagram. and brought to you by the main man, Jason Lemkin. And if the innovation from Team Sasta could not get greater, well, many CEOs have read Sasta's content and wondered how can they train their teams on Sasta's best practices? Well, Sasta Pro solves that problem for you. Sign up today on sastapro.com forward slash podcast and let Sasta train your team for you automatically, each week sending your team a highly actionable lesson meant to help you grow faster and and drive discussions on how to improve. But to the guest today, and I'm thrilled to welcome John Lee, founder and CEO at ProsperWorks, the number one recommended CRM for G Suite. To date, ProsperWorks have raised over 85 million in VC funding from the likes of True Ventures, Norwest, GV, Bloomberg Beta, and more incredible names. As for John, prior to running ProsperWorks, he started an investment banking at Merrill Lynch before moving to run a large operations team at Yahoo. John then founded Bazaar Advertising Solutions, a business self-funded from a Palo Alto apartment that John scaled into a highly profitable $47 million business in less than two years. John then sold Bazaar to Epic Media in 2006. And following the acquisition, John founded DNA Games, the number one casino simulation game on Facebook, with more than 20 million players, ultimately acquired by Zynga in May 2011. But before we dive into the show today, let me tell you about Full Contact, the largest cloud-based identity resolution and insights platform for professionals, teams, and businesses who want to master their contacts and create authentic connections allowing you to merge contact information across your address books into a single source of truth while automatically identifying and merging duplicate contacts. They also keep all your contacts up to date with public data, including photos, jobs, and social profiles, and keep them organized, synchronized, and up-to-date and safe, able to scan business cards and automatically capture signatures from Gmail. These and many more features have made Full Contact an essential app for people-focused professionals, including many VCs. And to download this app, simply check out Full Contact contact on the Apple App Store, Google Play Store, or online at fullcontact.com. And speaking of awesome products you need in your life, thanks to my friends at WePay, let me introduce to you another very cool player in SaaS, Aplos. Aplos supplies tools to manage every aspect of running a non-profit, including accounting, donations, membership, administration, and managing donors. It's designed for smaller non-profits and churches, and has served over 40,000 organizations, and you can learn more at aplos.com. And to learn how you can grow your revenue with integrated payments, just like Aplos did, visit wepay.com forward slash Sasta. They've got this really smart cheat sheet on how to get started with platform payments. Again, that's wepay.com forward slash Sasta. But that's quite enough from me. So I'm now very excited to hand over to John Lee, founder and CEO at ProsperWorks. Good. That's perfect. Okay. I think we're warmed up. John, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today, having heard so many great things from the team at True. So thank you so much for joining me today, John. Thanks, Harry. Appreciate it. Not at all, but I'd love to kick off with a little bit about you and how you came to make your way into SaaS and came to found ProsperWorks. Yeah, so I've been a career entrepreneur since 2005. Started my first company, which was our advertising. We were a marketing automation company. It was organically funded by myself through $47 million in revenue, and then we sold it to a private equity firm. And then I started a video game company called DNA Games, which did A-B testing for Facebook games. And we sold that to Zynga. And then I basically took a little break, had an existential crisis, and realized my life's purpose is to serve. And so I figured the best way to do that was to help other people like myself, entrepreneurs, change the world to make it a better place. In terms of SaaS, we wanted to serve entrepreneurs and help make them successful. And so if you take a look at kind of what drives value the most for entrepreneurs,
entrepreneurs, it's sales. And so we focused on the CRM vertical. And as we did a lot of research, we really didn't meet a lot of people that liked the kind of existing solutions that were out there. They were cumbersome, required a lot of data entry, wasn't really convenient to use. And as a result, they weren't really getting the value out of CRM that they were looking for. So organization, be able to establish a repeatable process, uh, visibility, and ultimately be able to automate their sales process. And so we started ProsperWorks really as focused CRM that's integrated with G Suite, one of the fastest growing office productivity suites, which also happened to be the most adopted among the crowd that we were targeting, which is fast growing companies and also fast growing teams within larger companies. Can I, can I jump on one element there, just being the element of DNA games? And I'd love to hear uh, the alignment or, or lack of alignment to, to entering the SaaS world. I had uh, Neil Young at Network on the show recently, and he said that gaming businesses today in the world of kind of customer acquisition for games is very similar to building SaaS businesses. Would you agree with that in the alignment of building games businesses to SaaS? That's exactly right. In gaming, it's all about engagement. What is engagement in gaming? It's about fun. It's about delight. What is it in enterprise software? It's about delivering real value. And so a lot of the tactics in gaming around how you introduce people to what your unique value proposition is, or the analog in games being fun, is very similar. So in the first-time user experience, for us, it's all about demonstrating the quote-unquote fun or the value in drips as the user enters the product and gets to understand the product. And then we're constantly measuring what are the moments of delight and the moments and how often are we actually delivering real value to the customer and making sure that we drive from a UI perspective and from other perspectives to be able to get people to ultimately realize value within the product itself. Mm -hmm. And so we measure our engagement. We're constantly measuring the number of times that we achieve our golden motions and really driving users to delight, which is ultimately delivering more value for the business, closing more deals organizing their leads better, using their time more efficiently, and so forth. I do want to break the interview up into a couple of different segments though, today. I want to start on the theme of culture and scaling that culture with the growth that you've had, then move to upsell and business expansion and finish on the market that you serve itself. How does that sound? That sounds great. So culture and scaling, I spoke to many of your investors before the interview and they said that you've mastered the scaling of culture and creating this culture of innovation. Talk to me, what does this culture of innovation mean to you? Yeah, so I think it means first being very clear with the team exactly what goal that you're trying to solve and why it's important. And people need to really understand and really align with what the vision of the company is. And so our vision of our company is to be the engine of prosperity. You know, we believe that there's so much unlocked productivity out there in the market. The fact that CRM drives $3 trillion in sales a year, that there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for us to be able to increase that productivity. And so it's really important to really align the team around that common goal and then be very clear what it means to accomplish that goal. So that's really your mission. And from a mission standpoint, our mission is to make business relationships easy. And we really pick apart that mission and we decide, well, what are we going to do different in the market? Because CRM has been around for some time now to be able to do that. And so we've really focused in on ease of use, on automation of data entry, around this notion of augmented productivity, where CRM is everywhere, where you talk to your customer. And then once you get alignment on that, it's really about setting what are the goals for every single individual on the team that ultimately align to deliver that vision and ultimately that mission. And so I fundamentally believe that people that join startups, of course, they want to bet big and make a lot of money, and but they also want to make a big change. But more importantly, they want to understand what their impact is to that change. And so all of our employees, 
AAAs have a very clear metric that they're driving towards, and they can measure whether or not they're, I like to call it awesome. And everyone wants to be awesome. If there's a very clear measurement of whether what they did or how they contributed toward making the company or themselves demonstrate that they were awesome, that's fantastic. And so the way that you execute a culture like that is, again, being very clear what the objectives are and then how you measure them and then making it clear their contributions to how that it moves that measurement and then giving them the freedom to do it. It's about transparency. It's about providing all the data that they need in order to best make the decisions on a day-to-day basis. Can I jump in and ask, you mentioned that kind of goals, accomplishing those goals. How do you create a culture of kind of accountability and responsibility, but also not a feeling of continuous fear, not accomplishing goals and that potential failure? Yeah. And one of our values is to win as a team and to be comfortable with taking risks. I think it's really orienting people around the notion that in order for us to really stand out in the market, we can't make iterative improvements. We need to make order of magnitude improvements. And in order to do that, we have to encourage risk-taking. And so risk-taking is absolutely encouraged at the company. We won't always hit our goals, but what's important is that we are putting our best foot forward and putting our best efforts towards doing that. And that's actually a really hard line to straddle, as you mentioned. There's a good balance of fear of not contributing to the team, but then there's also this amazing opportunity to be able to deliver outsized returns on the metrics and the goals that people are running after. Now, absolutely. It kind of calls to any culture. I'm intrigued because you've scaled ProsperWorks immensely over the last 24 months, now over 100 people. I'm interested, where have you seen the breakdowns in the scaling of culture and where are those inflection points? Yeah, I would say, yeah, we're now 162 people and we're going to be 220 people. So I think that culture really starts from the top. It really starts with defining, again, what that vision, mission, what your values are. And it's about rewarding employees and really making clear that those values are very important to the organization. And those values are the basis from which people get promoted, from which they get recognized, from which they are awesome. And so that's really where it starts. And then it percolates downwards through your executive team. And so the way in which you engage with your executive team needs to be consistent with those values. And you'll be surprised how much behavior as the CEO founder that you can make on your executive team, which then influences their line of managers then influences the second line of managers and ultimately influences the individual contributors as well. If you go back to those early days, though, and go back to the scaling journey itself, where have there been bumps in the road with scaling this culture? It's, it's fairly easy as a thoughtful CEO, as a good leader to be able to permeate that culture. I think once you get past 150, and it's actually very interesting that it's exactly with Dunbar's number, it becomes a lot more difficult because people in different departments start not knowing other people in other departments. You start adding a bunch of new faces. They're sort of the new groups, the older groups, and clicks start forming. And so that's when it's really important to really emphasize the values and to celebrate those values and to make sure that every manager embodies those values so that every single employee ultimately does the same. And so myself, a number of my friends have all noted, yeah, there's something magical that happens at 150 where you no longer as a CEO founder can rely on yourself to perpetuate that culture and that you really need to rely on your team to be able to do that for you. You spoke about the exec team a little bit there. I've had multiple guests on the show who talk about exec team churn throughout stage. I'm intrigued. Do you agree with the common notion that you go through three or four exec teams 
moves on your way to IPO and or eventual M&A? Yeah, I think every founder gets to IPO or building a substantially large business by achieving various goals at different stages of the company. For Series A companies, it's product market fit. For Series B, it's the ability to demonstrate scalability of revenues. For Series C, it's the ability to do so profitably uh, in a repeatable fashion. And so in order for you to be successful, you really need to embody a true embrace of all of your executives and deeply care about them in their development. But I think the simple reality is, is that as the company grows and the objectives change, there are different skills that are required. You do your best that you can to coach your executives to be able to do that. But there comes a point in time where the company needs to bring in outside experts. And so I think most entrepreneurs recruit people like themselves early days who are hustlers, who are really smart, who are willing to learn, and they can learn very quickly. And you learn through making mistakes and you learn through talking to other people. But the best way to learn is actually being around people that have actually done it before. You know, Even at ProsperWorks, we brought in three new executives. John Aniano from Salesforce, who was the SVP of product of Service Cloud. He ran product for a $3 billion organization. We recognize that as we move up market, we need that product expertise and the ability to scale a product organization past over 100 people. We brought in Morgan Norman, who was the CMO of Dialpad and SVP at Zora NetSuite, who was very successful bringing mid-market customers uh, into his prior companies and scaling that organization. We brought in Neeraj Shah, who's a senior director of growth over at Zendesk, who's now our VP of growth, to be able to velocify a portion of our customer segment. And so I think every CEO needs to look deeply as much as they want to believe and support and grow the existing executive team. You know, what does the company really need at this point in time? And be able to position and bring in people that can accelerate that. And it's not to say that that CEO is not loyal or not supportive of the existing executive folks, but you're actually doing them a favor. You're actually helping to increase the size of the overall pie and the value of the company. And these new individuals give an opportunity for existing executives to really learn from these other executives that have been there and done that in the past. And so you're really doing them two favors, both for their career, both for their pocketbook, but most importantly, mostly to help us achieve the vision that we all signed up for. Kanaz, how do you bring in such talent and such experience into an existing team without disincentivizing those who maybe hoped it would be them next? That's a really tough question. You know, I think that every fast-growing company and successful company is successful and fast-growing because of the executive team that supported it. And I think that the way that you do it is just being very clear. What's the vision? What's the mission? What are the values? What are the metrics and the goals that we need to drive? And we have to always be intellectually honest and ask ourselves, what can we do today to help us achieve our goals faster? I think having that open conversation around what we know and what we don't know and where we have a lack of experience. I think if you have a good culture on your executive team that is intellectually honest and self-reflective, it makes it a lot easier to make that transition. You spoke about the multiple different segments of market that you now serve from SMB to mid-market and enterprise. Probably the most common question that early SaaS founders ask me is, Harry, should I start with SMB, refine product and work my way up or start with enterprise and work my way down? Imagine uh, you were advising me. What <laughs> advice and recommendations would you give me? 
I would say start from SMB and work your way up. I mean, that certainly has been our approach. And a lot of this actually comes from my gaming experience as well, which is the ability to iterate very quickly. You ultimately need to do two things in enterprise software. You're either providing a product that is new and that you need to convince a market that there's a need for it, or you're solving and building a better product that they're already using. And so if you're in the second camp, like ProsperWorks is, then it's really important that you nail two things. Number one, you have the features that your customers expect you to have today. Those are the table stakes. And number two, you have a handful, maybe two to three features that really distinguish you from the market. And so in order for you to figure out number one, there's a lot you can do around customer interviews and so forth, but nothing beats actually having to convince a customer to give you money for your product to test whether or not it's good enough for them, and then ultimately track the retention of that product. But number two, from a differentiation standpoint, I mean, you're making a bet. And the faster that you can and earlier that you can test those bets of what makes my product different will allow you to really stand out from the market. And so what usually happens is if you graph sort of you've got market adoption on the y-axis and feature depth on the x-axis, you see these inflection points where you have step functions going up where once you complete a series of features, you're able to reach a much larger market. And then it goes up and so forth until you go from very small business, to small business, to medium-sized business, to ultimately enterprises. To me, the best way to do that is in an iterative fashion. And that allows you to be able to rapidly test what do our customers engage with most? What do they write most about in positive reviews as to what makes ProsperWorks different? Being able to get your product out earlier is very important. However, you need to be very careful and define what your target market is. If your target market is mid-sized businesses, you have to be careful that you don't become sort of biased toward your current customer base and what they need versus what your mid-market customer base needs. So it's very important to find your target market very early on so that you make sure you filter for that. Another advantage of going small business to enterprise is that naturally small businesses need less features than enterprises do. And so what it allows you to do is to be able to start getting traction. So you raise a $3 million Series C or a $2 million series seed, you only have so much time and resources to build so many products. So as a matter of practicability on an existential basis, being able to continue to fund and grow your business, you need to be able to demonstrate progress and progress equals revenue and growth. And in order to do that, you need to have a market to be able to sell into. And so that's largely been our approach, which was we needed to find product market fit. We need to scale revenues and demonstrate strong growth. And then we needed to be able to repeat that growth in a profitable fashion, which is how we raised $87 million over the history of the company. Can I ask, what was the biggest challenge for you in really taking that SMB start and then moving up market now to the multiple segments that you serve? What were the core challenges? I think the core challenge was really, you know, speaking to what I spoke about before, which is that when we first launched our product, it was free and we got a lot of customers to come on board and they requested a lot of different features. And our natural bias was to build the features that our customers wanted. Now, the reality is that the features that that segment wanted versus the segment we're really going after, which is larger small businesses and medium-sized businesses, are actually quite different than the needs of what a free customer customer may want, who is a one or two individual company. And so, again, being very clear of what your end target market is, is very important and making sure that you filter feedback from the right customer segment so that you ultimately are pointed in the right direction.
direction from a product development and marketing and sales standpoint. Final question before we move into the quick fire. How did the structure and the internal structure of the team change with the upscaling into enterprise? Yeah, so what we've discovered is that it really, from a product and engineering standpoint, for the most part, every customer segment requires a different team. So from a sales and marketing perspective, you need to bring in individuals who can sell into the mid-market. So we have a dedicated mid-market sales team. I think it's not impossible, but it is harder for an SMB or a small business sales team that's inbound focused to transition into a mid-market team that is outbound focused. And we've tried it in the past and credit to the folks who put in their best foot forward, incredibly intelligent, incredibly ambitious folks, but we just weren't as successful with that. But where we found success is where we bring in the leaders and the folks who have experience with that to be able to focus on the individual markets that we serve. So that's velocity, zero to five employees, core, five to 100 employees, and ultimately mid-market, which is 100 to 1,000 employees. And that actually speaks true on the product side as well. It's a very different type of customer. And as a result, you need a different type of product manager, different type of designer who really understands the use case of each particular segment. And so it's very important that you actually bring in the expert experts that understand these different markets so that you can be most successful with them. I do want to dive into John's 60 seconds faster though, John, just for you. So I say a short statement and then you give me your immediate thoughts. How does that sound? That's perfect. So how to optimize a sales call for customer rapport? Caring deeply about their business and then really understanding what are the pain points and coming across as a credible consultant to those pain points. What keeps you up at night, John? What's a common recurring theme that keeps you up at night? Are we moving fast enough? Tell me a moment in your life that served as an inflection point and changed the way you think. I read a book about the ego and how much decisions and the way you act is reflected by ego. And the moment that you can separate your ego from business decisions, the better decisions that you're going to make. Can I ask, how do you do that? You have to analyze your, your emotions and your reactions and realize that when you have intense emotions and reactions, take a deep breath, step back, ask yourself why you're feeling this way. Is it an extension of the way you were brought up or just who you are? And then be able to decouple and say, this is my mind talking. This is not who I am. And be able to recenter yourself to make that objective decision. What's your favorite SAS reading material, John? What are the favorites on a rainy day? I love Saster. <laughs> Great answer. And then let's finish on what do you know now that you wish you'd known at the beginning of your time with ProsperWorks? The importance of culture and the importance of surrounding yourself with an executive team that is aligned with your vision and your values. John, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. As I said, I heard so many great things from the team at True. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. And I want to say a huge thanks to John for giving up his time today to appear on the show. If you'd like to see more from John, you can follow him on Twitter at JohnLeePW. Likewise, we'd love to see you behind the scenes here at Sasta. You can find me on Instagram at hstebbings1996. And do not forget to check out Sasta Pro. That's at sastapro.com forward slash podcast. That really will change how you cultivate and harness your team. But before we leave you today, let me tell you about Full Contact, the largest cloud-based identity resolution and insights platform for professionals, teams, and 
businesses who want to master their contacts and create authentic connections, allowing you to merge contact information across your address books into a single source of truth while automatically identifying and merging duplicate contacts. They also keep all your contacts up to date with public data, including photos, jobs, and social profiles, and keep them organized, synchronized, and up to date and safe, able to scan business cards and automatically capture signatures from Gmail. These and many more features have made Full Contact an essential app for people-focused professionals, including many VCs. And to download this app, simply check out Full Contact on the Apple App Store, Google Play Store, or online at fullcontact.com. And speaking of awesome products you need in your life, thanks to my friends at WePay, let me introduce to you another very cool player in SaaS, Aplos. Aplos supplies tools to manage every aspect of running a non-profit, including accounting, donations, membership, admin, and managing donors. It's designed for smaller non-profits and churches, and has served an incredible 40,000 organizations, and you can learn more at aplos.com. And to learn how you can grow your revenue with integrated payments, like Aplos did, visit wepay.com forward slash sasta. Who knows, work with WePay, and you could even be featured here in a future profile. Start with wepay.com forward slash sasta. Now, as always, we so appreciate all your support, and I cannot wait to bring you next week's episode.